And we'll get started tonight. First, I want to say thank you for committing to this study. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are. You should have got a couple pieces of material. One is this. Let's look at it first. I took the time to actually outline every week's activity, so you'll know what every week is. Uh, I'm asking you to be here for every one of these sessions. Commit to all 12. We will be videoing these, and they will be put on the internet, uh, video and audio podcasts, in case for some reason you do need to miss. We will be taking off Valentine's week. Notice that. Next Wednesday night's normal, but the Wednesday night after that is Valentine's Day, and we'll take that off so you can have your date night and stay out of trouble, guys, which I don't want to be a part of that. So um, I want to say this, too. You've got a pretty in-depth handout. In fact, this is the most in-depth handout that I do for anything I teach, and here's why. I want you to have everything you need to explain this to somebody else. So almost everything I'm going to cover is in this handout. Um, so I, I did that on purpose. I, I made it, It's an extreme handout. So there's, there's a lot of material in there. So I ask you to be on time so we can get started because it, it's going to take us uh, the full session to cover these. I've crammed as much in here as we can because who can explain Revelation in 12 weeks? Not me. My goal is simply this, and I mentioned it in church a couple weeks ago. Most people do not read Revelation because they think they can understand it. What if in these 12 weeks I can give you the main characters and topics in a format through which then you can read it yourself and understand the entire book? Then you'll receive the blessing. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start. Father, we commit this entire 12-week session to you for the glory of your name for the souls of man. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself through this uh, teaching, through your word, and Lord, may we know you and the glory that you offer us by studying and seeking you in this session. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If we run out of handouts, uh, maybe we can get somebody to share. I made uh, a lot, but I don't know, maybe we're running out. That's a good problem. Two years ago, I read a book by David Jeremiah. And it was uh, The Agents of Apocalypse. When I read that book, it started me down a road to where I wanted to put together what you're about to experience. Two years ago, almost two years ago, I preached a series here at church. I'm not sure, eight sessions maybe. Um, I took that and adapted that to this session, to these sessions. Uh, Some of that will be the same thing I covered, but the format's different. Quite frankly, a lot of the material is different. So I want to give credit to Dr. David Jeremiah for that book and, quite frankly, his witness throughout the years. The Revelation. Just think about the word, the Revelation. One of the most talked about books of this ancient book we call the Bible. God's Word. The Revelation. Where does the word itself comes from? If you read the book of Hebrews, it was written to the Hebrews. If you read many of the Bible books, there's why they call it that. Why they call Revelation the Revelation? Revelation one one answers the question. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. The word revelation, which is a translation of the Greek word apocalypsis or apocalypse. When you think of the word apocalypse, let's be honest, what do you think? Something good? You do not. When somebody says the apocalypse is coming, the first thing in your mind is the zombie apocalypse or somebody's coming into town, looks dead or is dying. But that's not what the word really means. We think of it as cataclysmic, end of the world event or something terrible. However, the word simply means the uncovering, the revealing, the unveiling. That's what the word means. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation, this is going to surprise some of you, is not just to paint a picture 
of the end times. Does it paint a picture of the end times? Yes. But if that's all you're reading it to see, you're missing the big picture. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation is to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start with that idea tonight. Most of my life, here's why it's particularly influential upon me. Most of my life, I've told you I grew up in the church, and you know my visual understanding of Jesus was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus. Is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus awesome? You better believe it is. And it changed my life. It's changed your life. However, it wasn't until I personally did an in-depth study of the book of Revelation that I saw something. I saw glorious, all-powerful, majestic Jesus. Maybe you don't understand what that means. Let me explain. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, reveal a 33-year glimpse of this man named Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine 33 years of a person set in the middle of eternity. What was he like before that 33 years? What's he like after? You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John only lets us see the humanity of Jesus. A 33-year shot of him inside of his eternity. And when you can start to see Jesus outside, beyond, beyond those 33 years, something happens. Revelation shows the eternal Christ. here's Here's how they describe it. The one who was and is. And is to come. You know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John show you? The one who is while he was here. What about when he was? What about when he is to come? Revelation starts to peel back so that you can see who he was before Bethlehem. Who he was after the cross. Who he has always been. By the way, how old do you think he is? We refer to him all the time, I do too, 33 years he was upon the earth. He had three years of public ministry. So how old is Jesus? What, 33? Then you haven't seen him yet. Realistically speaking, the book of Revelation allows us to see the reality of Jesus. Because if you compare his 33 years on the earth to his eternal presence in heaven... Which would, best, which would best describe him? Which one think you think paints the best view of him? His eternal presence in heaven or 33 years upon the earth? We need both. But which one shows you the most? If you're confused about the glory of Christ, why I keep talking like this, Jesus himself announces that he wants us to know the glory that he shared with the Father before the world began. Well, how are you going to figure that out? He talks about it. Listen to this prayer of Jesus to his Father before he goes to the cross. It's in John 17, 4. And by the way, all the scriptures in this outline. I brought glory, Jesus says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus, right? It explains it. And now he says, verse 5, Now, Father, bring me, who? Jesus in the flesh. Bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. What is that? Is it possible that we can touch base with that untouchable glory? Bring me into the glory. He's going to die on the cross and God's going to bring him into the glory that's not new glory. It's not new. Bring me into the glory that we had before the world began. Go down to John 17, 24. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. I want the same thing, by the way. Can I add that? Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me before the world began. The glory. Revelation. If you go through these 12 weeks, you're going to see something. You're going to see the glory. The glory, yes, now and forevermore, the glory of Christ. Can you see it? Have you seen it? Revelation is the revealing, the apocalypsis 
is the unveiling. Is the un, if, if you want to know where we're going, the revelation is the unveiling of the glory of Jesus. You're going to see it in this book. Do you want to see it? Because here we go. The revelation. Let's dive in. The Apostle John wrote this book and received this revelation from God while he was exiled on an island called Patmos. Exiled because he was a Jesus follower. Even though Jesus had already long since departed from the earth, he had long since been gone. We believe John is the last of the surviving apostles. Let there be no doubt that John was in this place of exile on an island called Patmos, suffering because, one reason, listen, he's a Jesus follower. It brought suffering. Revelation 1, verse 9 and 10. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in patient endurance to which Jesus called us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. John specifically mentions that he is in exile because of two things. If you're going to understand Revelation, you're going to understand this conversation between Jesus and John, you need to know why he's there. Did you get it? Two things. For preaching the word of God and his testimony about Jesus. He says it. I don't say it. He says it. I am on this stinking island because of I would not stop preaching the word and I would not stop saying the word Jesus. That's what testifying testimony is. Do you think that's new? Do you think that's old? What? Those two things. To face opposition, persecution, suffering because you preach the word and you say the name. The word has always... The world has always persecuted God's people, and they always will. That's not new, that's the way it is. Notice the connection between God's calling and suffering. I'm going to give you some examples, because you need to understand, John is not where he is by accident. God has put him there. Why? Because God is going to do the revelation to John specifically on this island. Do you think there's a connection between God's calling and suffering? Before, before I get into it, do you think there's a connection? Do you think that it's totally disconnected, that God calls people, and then suddenly they find themselves in suffering? Or they find themselves in hardship? Or they find themselves in an odd place? Well, let me give you some examples. Go down the list. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, which is what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In the wilderness. Do you know that? When did he have time? You got a lot of time in the wilderness. Moses wrote the Pentateuch in the wilderness, in suffering. Moses didn't go into the promised land, did he? He, he had to stop at the River Jordan. In, but something happens in the wilderness. Something's going to happen to John on an island called Patmos. God has ways that he does things. Moses is in the wilderness and he writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. David wrote many of the Psalms while doing what? Read them. He's running from Saul. He was anointed as king at a very young age, but it was a long time before he became king. Why? There's a connection between the calling and the wilderness sufferings of man. Isaiah wrote while watching the nation of Judah self-destruct in idolatry and while he was hiding from King Ahab who wanted to kill him. Ezekiel wrote while he was captive, while he was a captive in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. Do you know anybody see a trend? Is this an accident? They threw Jeremiah in a cistern to stop his preaching and his testimony about God. They tried to shut him up. It didn't work. Peter wrote his two letters just before he was executed for his preaching and his testimony. 
Paul wrote much of the New Testament from where? Come on, church, where? He's in prison. Do you think these are just coincidental? And John. He received the most extensive revelation of future events shown any writer in the New Testament while he was enslaved on an island because he wouldn't, because he wouldn't, because he wouldn't stop preaching. He wouldn't stop saying that name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Have you ever wondered why God allows His people to experience such suffering and hardship? You think He's mean? Or do you think He knows more about us than we know about us? I don't want to pretend like I have an answer to that deep question, but I can tell you that suffering and hardship will certainly get your attention. It'll make you prepared to listen to God. When you're marooned on an island, you'll listen to God. Yeah, you will. Not a whole lot of TV there. Not a lot of movies to go to. No Walmarts. No distractions. Guess what? It's in those times when you've got nothing that your ears are wide open. You think God's mean? If you notice, just about every one of the men in the Bible that encountered God were removed from their normal circumstances and placed in a totally new setting. I like to put it like this. They were taken out of their comfort zone and put immediately into the uncomfort zone so that God would be able to talk and they'd be able to hear Him. You think that's an accident? Abraham, you must leave your homeland. God's going to move him from his comfortable family status and make him become a nomad. Joseph, you're going to Egypt, and by the way, you'll be a slave there. Moses was a Hebrew baby in the Nile River. He went from that to the wilderness, and then he went back to Egypt, only to leave Egypt and go to Canaan. That poor guy never got comfortable. Daniel was a slave in Babylon when God revealed the future of all mankind to him and to Nebuchadnezzar. Peter and John left their boats. They left their vocations to set out on a new path. It was in the last days of this new path of John. Let's, let's, let's make something clear. John, if it's a, a ball game analogy, John is at the end of the fourth quarter when he encounters Jesus on the island of Patmos, when he receives the revelation. Many people read the book of Revelation and their main question becomes what? What would you guess? When and how long do we have? I know how people think, because that's how I think. Many people, for the first time they read Revelation, they want to know when how long do we have? When's it going to happen? How long we got? What's going to happen? How long till it happens? They read the word soon, and they think that soon can't be 2,000 years, can it? I don't know what kind of scale you've got, but if you tell me I'm going to do something for you, Terry, soon, 2,000 years is not soon to me. In fact, you can just give it up if it's going to take you 2,000 years. So let's look at verse 1 today, and I'm going to give you the first eye-opening opportunity. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show His servants the events that must take place soon. He sent an angel to present this revelation to His servant John. And if you go to the very last chapter of Revelation, He does it again. Does what? It must take place soon. Now, somebody reads this in English, what are they going to think? How long is it going to take? Let's go. Go to the very last chapter, Revelation 22, verse 6. Then the angel said to me, Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires His prophets has sent His angels to tell His servants what will happen. There it is again, soon. Have you ever thought about what soon would mean to an eternal being? Now I've told you what soon means to me. It means like soon. It does not mean 2,000 years from now. But have you ever thought about what the word soon would mean to somebody who always has been, he always is, and he always will be? Have you ever thought about what soon would mean to the one who was and is and is to come? 
Now, I know some of you, the first thing you're going to think is what I would think. Okay, now that you put it in that context, read 2 Peter 3.8, okay? Or, uh, yeah, 3.8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day, now we're talking about a 24-hour day. A day unto the Lord. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is what? It's like a day. Right? So if a day's like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, and it's been two thousand years, how long has it been for God? Soon. The Lord isn't really being slow. Is he? He's not slow in keeping his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everybody to do something. Say the word. He wants everybody to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. You know when it will come? It will come soon. And I'm going to reveal something to you in a moment. It was eye-opening for me. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and every elements themselves will disappear in the fire. And the earth and everything on it will be Found to deserve judgment. Do you think the Lord is slow or do you think the Lord is patient? Do you think He's waiting for... I can tell you what I think because I've read the whole book a bunch of times. He's waiting for a whole bunch of people to repent. He's waiting for a whole bunch of people who are walking away from Him and turn around and walk toward Him. That's what He's waiting on. Now I like how David there Jeremiah describes it in his book so I put it in here. This expression, what expression? Must take place soon. Everybody listen, because here's, here's an eye popper for you. If you study the original language, this statement, this expression, it must take place soon, describes something that suddenly comes to pass. It indicates rapid progression after something commences. The idea is not that the event will occur soon, but, it, that, it, but that when it does, it will occur suddenly. It's like a California earthquake. We don't know when it will, when the next one will come, but we do know that it will, and it will come suddenly without warning. If you study the language, here's the communication in the first of Revelation and the end of Revelation. It's going to happen suddenly. When it starts, there will be rapid progression of events. That does not mean that from now till then is soon. It is a reference from God what is soon, okay? A day's like a thousand years. From his perspective, it is soon, but that's not my point. My point is it's suddenly. It's suddenly, like a thief in the night, like a woman who goes into labor. You knew it was coming, but you didn't know when, but when it happens, it begins to take place quickly. Things start to fall in place quickly. The contractions, the pain, everything starts to escalate quickly. That's his description of these events. John meets Jesus again in this revelation scene. They had spent three years together, right? 24-7, right? They knew each other. But he meets Jesus on the island of Patmos after many years of preaching about Jesus. John meets him on the island. John has always been considered part of the inner circle of Jesus. I want you to know that as we open this book together. During his earthly ministry, John is on the inside of Jesus' closest circle. John was with Jesus at the transfiguration. John was with Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Not everybody was. John was with Jesus at the cross. In fact, John was the only one of the twelve that is recorded to be with Jesus on the cross. And in that scene, Jesus gives John instructions to care for his mother. That ought to tell you what kind of relationship these two people had. In fact, John is the only one that records this scene on the cross. So if you're wondering why John was picked to be the one of the revelation, maybe this might help explain it. John 19:25, standing near the cross where Jesus' mother 
were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. Did you notice how he describes himself as he writes John, the disciple he loved? Why don't he just say, me? He doesn't say, me. He's standing there beside me. No, he says, the disciple he loved. He said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her, Mary, into his home. With this closeness to Jesus, do you think John will recognize Jesus when he appears to him on the island of Patmos? Here we go. Here we go. Now, they know each other. They're best friends, right? John, you take care of mama. With that closeness, when Jesus comes years later, John is marooned on a desert island, excuse me, on a deserted island, and what's going to happen? John, good to see you again. No. Here's why I asked the question Is he the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John Jesus when he comes to Patmos? I've studied today to come up with a word. I couldn't, so I used three. Glory beyond measure. That's what's about to happen. Glory beyond measure. I told you a few minutes ago that when you get this, this right here, when you, when you get what I'm about to show you, when you're able to start reading the Bible and see glory beyond measure, everything changes. Revelation 1, I'm going to read 9 through 18. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the Spirit and suddenly, soon, suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book. Everything you see, and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing, I need to say something. Can anybody guess what title Jesus used to describe himself more than any other title during, that, during his earthly ministry? Son of Man. He saw someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe and a gold sash around his chest. His eyes, excuse me, his head and his hair were like were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword is coming out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. Remember those three words? Glory beyond measure. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. I thought y'all were close. I thought y'all were like this. He's the one, John, he told you to take care of mama. And now you don't even know, you can't even recognize him. Someone like the son of man. He's got a sword comes out of his mouth. And his face looks like the sun. Who is he? But he laid his right hand on me. And he said, don't be afraid, John. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. What? How can anybody that glorious die? How could anybody that big, that glorious, that power, that, that awesome, how could he be subject to death? I died, John. Don't be afraid, John. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever. 
And I hold the keys of death and the grave. John. Jesus tells John to not be afraid, but I don't think it worked. I don't. Glory beyond measure. Jesus then announces something profound to his old friend and companion. Three things. Listen, you've got to understand these three things. Number one, I died and look, I'm alive forever, never, 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 never. But I died. I died. Number two, I, I, got, I skipped number one, didn't I? I am the living one. That's why I'm going so fast. I am the living one. I died and look, I'm, forever, I'm, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. I hold the keys of death. John specifically told, is specifically told by Jesus to write down what he sees and to send this message to seven churches in Asia Minor. Now that's modern day Turkey. What's happening here? The unveiling. The apocalypsis. The revealing. I'm going to read 10 and 11 again. It was the Lord's day and I was worshiping in the Spirit and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blessed. Like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Revelation begins with a church focus. Tonight, I want you to understand something. Revelation opens, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. The revealing of Jesus to John has a church Focus. And then something's going to happen. After you close chapter 3, when chapter 4 opens all the way to the end, until you get to the very end, the church is not mentioned anymore. But there is something that's mentioned in the first verse of chapter 4. Stay with me. I didn't write it down. Church, chapter 3 the entire first three chapters is about these seven churches. Write down a message from Jesus to seven churches. I believe this is a reference to the church age. And he also gives a reference that there is an end to the church age. Because after the third chapter of Revelation, the church is not mentioned until the end of Revelation. Where'd they go? What's going to happen? If you open up and read the very first verse of chapter 4, here's what you'd find. Jesus telling John this. Come up here. Now where's he at before? John is still on the island of Patmos. And they're talking about the seven churches. Write down this message to seven churches. And then he says, verse 1, chapter 4, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Well, what was the this? The letter to the seven churches. Each of those messages of Jesus to the seven churches begins the same way. Everybody listen. I believe, I believe that this reference, when He says, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this is after the rapture of the church. That's why the church becomes absent the rest of Revelation until the end of Revelation. Come up here, John. John, we're going to not talk about the church anymore. I've given you the letter to the seven churches. And then some, I want you to come up here. I'll show you what happens after the church age. But write it all down. All seven churches, the word of Jesus to the seven churches, all begin with the same phrase. Or at least it's worded the same. What? I know your work, I know your deeds. So I want you to consider where in this scene, the church of Nineveh. I know your work, I know your deeds. All seven churches, John writes it down. Write it down, John. I know your work. I know your deeds. And each of those letters contain a promise 
from Christ to every one of the seven churches, to all the church age believers who overcome. They have a promise. Overcome what? Overcome who? In all seven letters, to all seven churches, they all begin with, I know your work, I know your deeds, and if you'll overcome, I've got something for you. What are they going to have to overcome? What's the church going to have to overcome to get the reward, the promise that Jesus gave to John before he said, come up here and I'll show you what happens after that. Where is John at that very moment? John is on an island prison for preaching the Word of God and for refusing to stop testifying about Jesus. Anybody see it yet? The world, listen carefully, the world, the unbelieving world wants you and I to overcome these two things. Why is John... On this island. I didn't write it. He did. Why is John on this island? For preaching the word of God. And for testifying of the name of Jesus. Read it. Why is he on the island? Preaching the word of God. Testifying of the powerful name of Jesus. What does the world want the church to stop doing? Two things. Stop preaching the word of God. Stop saying the name of Jesus. The world wants you to overcome the two things that make you an overcomer. What two things? The Word and the name. Preaching the Word. Testifying of the name of Jesus. But Jesus promises a reward to the church that refuses to stop preaching the Word. And refuses to stop saying the name. There's a reward. Let me give you an example by reading what Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia. One of the seven churches in Asia Minor. I'm only going to read one of them. There's no way I can go through all seven. If you doubt me, if you doubt what I just said, I'm going to say it one more time. The very thing that makes the church an overcomer in Revelation is the very thing that the world wants you to stop doing. Two things. The very reason John is on the island is two things. And what's the church, modern American church doing? What's the modern American church struggling with? Two things. The authority of Scripture. Preaching the Word of God. Not telling stories and not making people feel warm and fuzzy. But preaching the Word of God. And number two, testifying of the exclusive, powerful name that is above all names. Singular. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. Two things. So, I'm going to read to you one of the examples. This is to the church of Philadelphia. Revelation 3.8. Jesus says, I know all the things you do. They all start that way. All letters. All seven letters. I know, what you, I know your deeds. I know your works. I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, you church people in Philadelphia. Yet you have obeyed my word, and you did not deny me. The word and the name. Testify to both. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are one you are the ones I love because you have obeyed my command. So what if you what if you don't keep to the preaching of the word? And what if you don't? What if you deny the name? What if you don't? You're going to lose the promise that he's making you. Listen, what is the promise? Here it is. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. What? The word in the name. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great Time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. What is that event? I believe it is the tribulation that will follow the rapture of the church. I will, I'm going to read it again. 
I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon what? The whole world. To test those who belong to the world. And then he says what? I'm coming soon. Suddenly. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God. And they will be citizens in the city of my God. The new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. Did anybody in the room hear the Spirit say Amen. Seven times. Seven times Jesus says the same thing. Did you know that? All seven churches, all seven letters to all seven churches have the same ending. Anyone with ears to hear must hear and understand what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe that is a reference to the Gentile church in the church age. Anyone with ears to hear must listen and understand what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus uses this same phrase to end His challenge, His rebuke, and His promise in all seven churches. Before, before He looks at John and says, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after that. After that, I believe, after, is after the rapture of the church. And after that is the seven years of tribulation that will come to the earth. The event, the very event that he told the church at Philadelphia, I will protect you from the great time of testing that's going to come to the whole world. Why do you think he did that? Why did he say, anyone with ears to hear must hear and understand what the Spirit says to the churches? Why? Why, why do you think he said that? Because the Spirit is the only thing that makes the church the church. The Spirit. If we assemble together every week and we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're not a church. I don't know what we are, but we're not a church. It is the Spirit that seals us, marks us, inhabits us, claims us. The Spirit. To answer that question, let's go to the last chapter of the revealing, Revelation again. And there's only four verses that follow this verse at the end of Revelation. Revelation 22, 70. The Spirit and the bride say something. What? Come. Who, who, who? The Spirit and the bride say come. Let anyone who hears, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand what the Spirit's saying to the churches. And anyone who hears this, they should say something. What? Everybody's saying the same thing. Come. 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 Where are we going? Let anyone who is thirsty come. And let anyone who desires Drink freely from the water of life. Who's the Spirit? Christ. What's He say? Come. Who's the bride? The church. You. You know what you're supposed to be saying in the church age? Come get some living water. You're preaching. You're preaching. Your life's a preacher. You're preaching. Come get a drink of this living water. Don't swish it around in your mouth and spit it out. Drink it. Drink it. Swallow it. The Spirit is Christ. The bride is Christ. And they're both saying the same thing. Come. Of course they are because it is the voice of Christ. And He has one message. And the message in the church age is what? Come. Come get free living water. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't do it? You know the answer? Unbelievers. Seven times to seven churches. Same thing. Revelation 3.13. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit. 
and understand what he's saying to the churches. Listen to the Spirit and understand. Did you? Have you? Will you? It's hard to listen in the midst of so much world noise. But I bet you can hear better if you were in a cave on a remote island. Now, there's some interesting study habits that people I know, I'm not going to mention any names. I know some people that study with the radio on. Music going on in the background. That is an impossibility for me. I don't know if it's how my brain works, but no way. If I study, the door's closed, there's no music, there's no background noise, I've got to be zoned in. I can't have any distractions. Anyone with ears to hear must listen and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, I'm not saying everybody's the same. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people, and I know there are. Please understand. There's people that can listen to music and study at the same time, and they must have two channels. I got one. I got one. It's a narrow one, I think, sometimes. However you got to do it, listen and understand. And do you think it's an accident that God has put... John on an island and said, listen, there are no distractions. I believe you could hear and listen and understand a burning bush in the midst of a desert when you're a guy named Moses. I believe you could hear, listen, and understand in a cistern in Jerusalem if you're a guy named Jeremiah. I believe you could hear, listen, and understand in a Roman prison if you're a guy named Paul. Hear what? Listen to what? And believe what? The Word of God. Because when they listened, they wrote it down. And I'm reading it tonight. The Word of God. Do you understand what you have in your possession? I was watching a video recently of some Christians in China. And I tell you, I sat in the office and I cried. I cried. Because they are smuggling one page at a time into their communities. And it's the most precious thing they have. They have one page. And then they'll meet together in secret and trade pages. Anyone with the ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He says. We have the Word of God. All of these people that I've mentioned were in trouble because of the Word of God. Do you believe the book of Revelation is the Word of God? Because ultimately you're going to have to come to this point. See, I believe the book of Revelation is the Word of God. All of it. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. What did John see? What did Jesus say and what did John write down? If you believed the revelation was the very Word of God, you would know all three. I can tell you one thing John wrote down. The blessings. The blessings to those who listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the churches. Jesus makes that statement seven times. What? Anyone with ears to hear must hear and understand. Seven times. And then, then, this is amazing to me. And then He records Seven blessings. So I'm going to do something stupid. How many of you would like to receive a blessing from God? Raise your hand. How many of you would like to have seven? Okay, even better. Seven times, he says, anyone with ears to hear should hear and understand what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he offers seven blessings to those who will hear and understand. Now, tonight, that's one of my main goals. I want you to see the seven blessings. I believe if I can show you the seven blessings, I can get you to come to all 12 sessions. Here they are. Are you listening? Blessing number one. Revelation 1.3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And He blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says for the time is near. Now you held your hand up a minute ago. I saw you. And you said you wanted the blessing. And here's the promise. He blesses anyone for reading this book. I said earlier that most people don't read Revelation because they think they can understand it. The blessings here. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand what the Spirit's saying to the churches. 
I grew up in a church that never taught the revelation. That frustrates the life out of me. Many churches today refuse to teach the revelation. I get criticism from preachers because I talk about the revelation. Go ahead, I want the blessing. You're not hurting my feelings. Some people believe it's impossible to interpret or understand, and thus they never read it, and they never teach it. I want the blessing, and I believe in the Spirit's power to reveal the Word of God. I believe that the Spirit does it. That He didn't just give a secret to John that no one will understand. I believe. Why would I read a book and then refuse to see how the story ends. Why you go all the way up through Jude, you read 65 of the 66 books in the Bible, and you never read the last one. Well, that's dumb. Don't you want to know how this thing ends? Blessing number two. Revelation 14. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. What? Blessed are those who die from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds are going to follow them. The dead in Christ are going to rise to meet the Lord in the air when the trumpet sounds. The dead in Christ, those who die in the Lord from now on, will receive, will receive eternal flesh in an eternal kingdom. There will be rewards and there will be rest. How many of y'all looking forward to rest? I am. There's going to be rewards and there's going to be rest. And you're going to get a new body. And it's going to last forever. Do you not know? Have you not heard about this blessing? It's in the book of Revelation. You will need to know about this promised blessing so that you will do something. So that you'll overcome the suffering when somebody opposes you for using the name and the word. Listen, if I know about the blessings and somebody hassles me because I preach the word then I keep preaching the Word because I want the blessing. I need to know about the blessings. I need to know. You need to know. Anyone with ears must hear and understand. Blessing number three, Revelation 16. Jesus said, "I will look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. Did you catch that? I'm grinning, grinning, grinning. Blessed are all who are watching for me and who keep their clothing ready so they'll not have to walk around naked and ashamed. This blessing proves I'm not crazy. I've had people leave the church. Listen, I'm not making it up. I've had people leave the church because they say I talk about Jesus coming back too much. Did you not read the Revelation? This is the third blessed promise to those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I want this blessing. And I'm not letting go of it. And yeah, I might wear you out with the Jesus is coming back thing. But on the day the trumpet blasts, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. The Apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica that it'll be like a thief in the night. But not to you. Do you know what? That's what he says. He says, but not to you. Because you're children of the day. And you're wanting that blessing. And you believe this is the word of God. Blessing number four. It's, in, it's all in the book of Revelation. This book nobody wants to read. It's filled with blessings. Revelation 19. And an angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. If your we- it's, it's your wedding and you're invited. Who would miss their own wedding? This one is very personal to me. Because it goes along with God's calling to me to prepare the church. I have told you countless times that when God, I had an encounter with God, I was told three things. God's calling watchmen, you're going to be one of those. Number two, 
Tell the people the deliverer is coming. Number three, make the church ready for the wedding. She thinks she is, she is not. This one's personal for me. I'm trying to do that. Do you want this fourth blessing sent to seven churches? Have you been invited to your own wedding? Jesus in the Olivet Discourse told about the ten virgins that were invited to the wedding, but only five were ready when they heard the call. Are you listening? Jesus tells the story about this wedding. There's ten virgins, and they're all invited to the wedding, and they all go out, and they all got oil, and there's a long period of time, and some of them did not endure. Some of them got distracted. Some of them got carried away with the wrong something, and there was a voice that came from God, the bridegroom, is here. Five of them went in and five of them stayed out and the door closed. They weren't ready. Do you know what that picture is? Come on, you know what that picture is? It's the rapture of the church. And you're not going to be upset you didn't know. They weren't ready. We were at Camp Calvary. I see Scott sitting down there. We were at Camp Calvary two years ago, and we put on a skit on that Wednesday night. We were down there behind the pond. It was all dark, and, and we, had this, we were going to do this parable of the ten bridesmaids. And Scott's up on the hill with a big, we got to put a big old light on him, and he hollers out, uh, the bridegroom is here. And I'll tell you what, the kids were crawling under the bleachers. <laughs> bridegroom's coming and you know what he said blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb number five do you know all this in revelation you want these blessings number five revelation 20 blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection what what blessed are those who share in the first resurrection why because for them the second death holds no power They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they're going to reign with Him for how long? For a thousand years. Some people, even church people, have a poor view of the future kingdom of Christ. Some people refuse to believe that Jesus will ever return to this present earth. You know why? Because they will not read Revelation. Some people refuse to believe that He is going to be the king over this earth. He will be the king of the Jews. Some people refuse to believe it. Blessed are those who will experience the first resurrection. The dead in Christ are going to rise. It's called the the first resurrection, and they will reign with Jesus on this present earth for 1,000 years. Maybe you've heard the saying before, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Have you heard that? It's a pretty good theological statement. Born once, you're going to die twice. Have you been born again? If you've only been born once, you're from the seed of Adam. You're going to die twice. You're going to die a physical death, and then you're going to rise to die a second death in the lake of burning sulfur. You're going to die two times if you're only born once. But if you're born twice, you were born of the flesh, and you were born again of the water and the Spirit. Guess what? You only die once, and there's a good possibility you won't even do that one if the rapture of the church comes before that day you won't even die once you know why blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection for the second death holds no power over them i'm not worried about the second death you know why i've been born twice i got two birthdays my first birthday i was from the seed of adam My second birthday, I moved out of that rotten family tree and I moved into a new family tree. And now I'm connected to this guy named Jesus. It's a new seed. It's an everlasting, eternal seed, born of the water and born of the Spirit. Revelation 22, blessing number 6. Look, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. He will come suddenly. The unprepared will miss the sixth blessing. Obedience to the words of prophecy written in this book. And that many unprepared people refuse to read. Obedience would not be such a big issue if you thought he was coming soon. Let's be honest. I'm going to read that again. Look, I am coming soon. 
Now, in the room today, I want you to read that literally and personally. Jesus is looking at you tonight and saying, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words. I'm going to tell you what, if you believe He's coming soon, you'd obey the words of this prophecy. Don't tell me you wouldn't, because yes, you would. Yes, you would. Jesus is coming tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. If He is, is there anything you'd do tonight? Then you ought to go and do that tonight. Do you want the blessing? He will come suddenly. The unprepared are going to miss the sixth blessing. Obedience to the words of prophecy written in this book. You're going to, obedience is because you believe He's actually going to do what He says He's going to do. Blessing number seven, last one, then we'll close. Revelation twenty-two fourteen. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat fruit from the tree of life. Wash your robes in what? The blood of the Lamb. John the Baptist proclaimed it. Jesus fulfilled it. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's how you get into the gate of this city. And that's how you get to eat from the tree of life. One of my favorite scenes from the... Jonathan Kahn is when he revealed in that book of ministry mysteries about the two trees. In the Garden of Eden, there's two trees. Our whole existence is going to be about two trees. They're fruit from those trees. One tree brought life in the garden. The other tree brought death, right? Adam ate the second tree, brought death. And then Jesus comes and what do they put Him on? A tree. The fruit of the tree that Jesus was hung on is life. But we've all partaken of the first tree, the tree of Adam. We've got to take the fruit off the second tree, the tree of life. That tree is the cross. It'll save your life. Did you get your robe washed? Seven challenges that lead to seven blessings. Did you know all that was in Revelation? And we ain't even got started. This is just a summary. We ain't even got going yet. Close. If the Lord is willing, we will spend the next 11 weeks covering the main characters and events in the book of Revelation. A book filled with prophecy, you can know the future and most people won't read it. A book filled with the words of God and the promises of God, the blessings of God, and most people won't read it. A A book filled with blessings specifically for those who read it, and most people won't read it. Why? Fear? Ignorance? Laziness? I'm not sure. But I can tell you what happened when I read it, and I can tell you what happened when I studied it. It changed my life. When I saw Jesus, not historical Jesus, but a present right now Jesus who is so glorious, it is unmeasurable. It changed my life. I like John, wanted to fall down on my face like a dead man. But Jesus told me not to be afraid. And you know what? I believed Him. He told, He holds the keys of death in the grave. And without those keys, I don't have a chance. But He's got the keys. Revelation 1.17 When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and the grave. I want to close with a story from the book from David Jeremiah. I love the story. Dennis Lyle, a Baptist pastor in Belfast, Northern Ireland, tells a tourist of a tourist who visited a beautiful mansion on a lovely lakeshore in Switzerland. The house was surrounded by well-kept gardens connected by tidy pathways. There wasn't a weed in sight. How long have you been caretaker here, the tourist asked the gardener. I've been here 20 years, and during that time, how often has the owner of the property been in residence? The gardener smiled. He's been here only four times. And to think, the visitor exclaimed, all these years you've kept this house and garden in such superb condition, you tend them as if you expected him to come tomorrow. Oh no, the gardener replied, I look after them as I expected him to come today. Of the seven blessings that I read to you earlier, it's this one that gets me. Revelation sixteen fifteen. look, 
I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. I believe that if you believed you were lost and Jesus had the power to save you, I believe you'd believe in Jesus. Are you a believer? Anyone with ears to hear must hear and understand what the Spirit's saying to the churches. I'm asking you tonight to come to all 12 sessions. I'm giving you detailed handouts as I know how to make. We're going to put it online for those who happen to not be able to make a session. But I'm asking you to make a commitment because I want these blessings to be yours. We are. I want one last announcement. We'll pray. There is Hilla Beans Barbecue up in the Fellowship Hall. You're all invited to go up and get a sandwich, get something to eat, hang out for a while. And thank you for being here tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you got John's attention and told him to write it down, and he did. Thank you for those who have preserved these words so we can have them tonight. Father, I pray we're ready when that bridegroom comes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.